0: Beyond the Policy is proudly presented by Coltec Global, operating a global delivery partner offering the best full service staffing solutions to organizations undergoing large scale tech transformations across all industry sectors. They mobilize teams from scratch, as well as provide high level niche expertise on a case by case basis, delivering the right talent solution to enable their partners to reach their business goals. Coltec was formed with the view to change how organizations see the role of a talent partner. By using a product-first solution model, they became a true partner to their clients. Through their associate model, they can supply fully qualified consultants to your roles within 24 hours, eliminating the cost of delay to your projects. You can view their solutions that give their clients a competitive advantage while building tech teams globally giving the business cutting edge delivery, all while giving their partners confidence at pace. View their solutions at coltech.io. Again, that's C-O-L-T-E-C-H.io. Everybody, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Policy Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Corell. Speaking to you now from August uh, 2022. It's been about five months or so since uh, we've last hung out and recorded an episode. As everybody knows, a lot has happened since then. Uh, the intro tech market has experienced uh, a lot of a lot of turmoil, a lot of layoffs, a lot of uh, a lot of disruption, uh, and very pertinent to this episode's conversation with Tolga Tezel. Uh, some of the capital markets, there's been a lot of, uh, upheaval, a lot of change, uh, in the venture capital market, valuations are down, uh, companies are, 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 taking down rounds. Uh, however, uh, wanted to still release this episode, uh, that I, that I recorded with, with Tolga, uh, back in March. Uh, So actually, uh, the the conversation that we've had uh, has aged a little bit. Uh, I I think some things have changed, but I still believe that that Togo's wisdom and experience shines through and and kind of transcends what's been happening in the market. Uh, But I did want to to kind of call that out. If if some of the uh, uh, the, the conversation that that we have uh, sounds like, man, it's... that's probably not happening today, you'd you'd be absolutely right. Uh, But without further ado, uh, again, today's guest is Tolga Tezel, the CEO and founder of Canopy Connect. He loves building infrastructure that powers consumers to get value and convenience from their data and helping businesses build best-in-class consumer experiences. Previously, he was an early engineer at Dropbox and Nova Credit. Tolga grew up in Canada and went to the University of Waterloo, where he fell in love with startups. Uh, Without any further ado, I want to tee up my conversation with Tolga. Please enjoy our conversation. All right, welcome back to another edition of Beyond the Policy. Uh, Thanks for joining. I'm Andrew Carell. I'm joined here with Tolga Tazel, the CEO of Canopy Connect. Uh, Tolga, so thanks thanks for joining me here. Andrew, thanks for having me. All right. So I don't know about you. If if you're at all keeping up with TechCrunch or Twitter these days in the tech startup space, um, you would think it's a prerequisite for anybody with a great idea to, to immediately go out, raise venture capital, and then figure it out. But kind of talking with you, you've got a little little different opinion about that. So I kind of wanted to ask you, like, what's your view on on raising venture capital these days?
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean... um. I went through this d- decision myself um, with, with Canopy Connect. I started working on it in 2019 and was like, in, I, I knew that I wanted to build a, a startup. I, I didn't know in the early days exactly what it would be, but I had a theme that I was interested in. And, um, and, and once I, uh, once I had the idea for Can like the idea of what I wanted to build for Canopy Connect and was excited about building it, um, started building it. And, uh, but Uh, You know, as I was as I was working on it and and talking with potential customers and and continuing to iterate on it, of course, like, you know, you have to you want to decide, like, what's your plan for uh, for growing the business and like most meaningful businesses are going to scale beyond, you know, one person. Right. But like not only can capital come, you know, come from a bunch of different places, Uh, venture capital is just one type of. Where you can place where you can get money from to to work on your business, right? But also, not every business necessarily needs to raise capital. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're raising money, you're you're always giving something away, right? Like you're you're giving away equity in your business. Most commonly, you're either giving away equity or you're uh you know taking on debt, right? Those are the two common ways. And so, obviously, the as a general rule, the earlier that you raise money the less you will have proven out. And so the more equity you're gonna be giving away in the early stages. So the more that you can delay raising money, that just gives you more time to make more progress and every bit of progress increases the value of your company. And so the longer that you can like squeeze, you know, without raising money, the like typically you're gonna like basically hustle yourself to a better valuation. That's one thing. Another thing, too, is that like when you're taking on money, you know, that's a real responsibility, right? Like you've gone out and you've raised some you got somebody to give you some money in exchange for, let's say, equity in your company. And um, and now you have a, a shareholder um, and you have somebody who um, has you know, trusted you with their money. And it's your duty to return an ROI on that for them, not just return the money back, but make them money uh, in exchange for giving you their money. And so like you want to make sure that you have a plan going in that like you're going to be able to execute in theory and like make productive use of their money. So I knew that I wanted to grow the business. So like I guess one of the first things is like what's your ambition level, right? Like if you want to build a lifestyle business, you probably don't want to you may not want to raise uh, any money from anybody. You can just keep 100 percent of the business to yourself and build it on and grow it on your own terms. I I wanted to build a a business, you know, with Canopy Connect, what we're doing is we're building single click insurance data importing. So instead of filling out a a long form to get a quote from an insurance provider, you would just select your insurance carrier and log in with your insurance carrier. And then we go and connect directly to the insurance carrier, get all of your insurance details and uh, supply them to the company that you wanted to share your information with. So you don't have to go and dig up your details.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to kind of unpack a couple things there first, like you mentioned about, um, you know, timing the, the, the point in which you raise and, and hitting certain progress, like talk to me about what sort of progress were you looking to, uh, to achieve in canopy connect? What were some of those milestones that you had on the roadmap that you wanted to achieve before going out to raise capital?
1: Yeah so so I, I wanted to like for for me like I wanted to raise um at a valuation that I felt good about um and uh and and aka not giving away a huge a, a massive chunk of my company early on um and I also wanted to have a plan where like if I if I put that money to work um we would in theory uh like be off to the races right And so um, the way I thought about it is, well, like I I come from an engineering background, so I love building products. And I, you know, I didn't have a sales background, but I also really enjoyed talking with customers. And I kind of looked at that as a learning opportunity as well, just to, you know, get to like get better at talking to customers, changing the product based on their, their feedback and improving it. And so in order to like have a plan where like I could put the money to work and we would, uh, we would be off to the races. And in also in order to have a good valuation, I decided that I would have three criteria before raising uh, money. One was that I would have a product that was live. Um, and that would, that had at least something like 20 customers so and like paying for it uh, but not only paying for it also telling me that they liked it so i didn't like i wouldn't have counted a sign up where the person was just ghosting me not using the product and just paying for it that doesn't tell you anything if people are using it that tells you something and they're telling you that they're liking it that's meaningful so i wanted to have that and then i also wanted to have a plan for how we were going to grow the customer base you know can it be connect like in order to validate that we could actually do what we set out to do we had to go and find customers to sign up and convince them to use our product, which, at you know, obviously in the very, very early days had had very little proof points, right? And so you have to convince people to sign up and, and use your product. And um, also because we were, you know, we're in the insurance industry, I didn't know how difficult at the beginning how difficult it would be to connect with different customers, you know, so like because I hadn't done it yet. And so, I wanted to have a plan for how we were going to be able to get this product in the hands of uh like a growing number of customers where we could just execute this plan and not have to hemorrhage money on marketing, yeah uh, because I don't think you you want to spend a lot of money on marketing until you know you have um a product that people actually like so those were the three criteria that I had set out. I said, like, okay, if we had that, then we know that we can scale our revenues because we're able to acquire customers and we know that, that, that they at least like it. So, like, you have a good sort of basis there for actually scaling. And, um, you know, when you pump more money into something, like, if it's working, it makes it, it can make it better. And if it's bad, it can make it a lot worse, a lot more quickly. So you want to make sure that you've set up for an upward slope there.
0: Yeah. So like a a positive accelerant versus a negative accelerant, but an accelerant nonetheless.
1: Yeah. So like, you know, on day zero, like when you get the money, you already have your your plan and you already have a product out in the market. You can just go and hire and execute on that. And because like I I come from an engineering background, it's also, you know, I also have like I didn't have to I I could build the initial product myself. Right. And so. That, that's a little bit of a unique situation, I guess that I was in. but, uh, but the, in general, the more progress you can make before you raise money, the better.
0: What was the, the feedback from uh, the venture capital partners that you were, you' were approaching? Like, did your, your hypothesis prove out? like where was it did you find that your process for raising that first round um, was easier, more fruitful and, and hit what you were looking for?
1: Yeah, definitely. I well, I I raised during a very interesting time because I raised right when COVID kicked off. So, uh, March like March twenty twenty was when I was uh, starting to talk to investors. Uh, right like right when oh, COVID wow. was being declared a pandemic. Um, and so it was actually a pretty unique. It would have been a very different experience if it was if I was raising capital like two years earlier, right? But so my experience was essentially I was connecting with uh, different uh, venture capitalists, and when I connected with you know when i would have a conversation with one that would you know they they would be impressed by they would then go and connect me with other people and then you start to get into you know accelerated meeting schedules so you'd i'd have a lot of days of back-to-back zoom calls um and i'd just be sitting at my desk like uh you know pitching to different investors and and keep in mind it's a bi-directional process right like you're interviewing them and they're interviewing you so like, it's not just for me, it wasn't just about finding the money, but like, it's actually much more about finding the partner. I looked at it like a hiring decision. And I think that's, I think that that's something that served me well and served, served us well as we look at when we're we're looking to raise capital, it's actually more about who are the right partners, um, uh, like for our business, the, the money can come from a lot of different places. So it's just more about who are the right partners. Um, so
0: based on your kind of like decision framework to even approach the venture capital market, I have to assume that you had a a rubric in mind for kind of grading and evaluating these potential partners. Can you share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it certainly wasn't formal, Um, but yeah, I I had a spreadsheet that, you know, anytime I would meet with an investor who I would potentially uh, want to include in our, in our seed round, you know, they would go in that spreadsheet and I would, I would kind of just keep track kind of like a CRM type of uh, functionality really. And that was honestly more to keep track of meetings than any- anything else. In terms of like, in terms of keeping stock of, you know, which investors were my, my favorites. Um, you know, although I was, you know, I probably spoke with like somewhere between 80 and 100 uh, VCs. Um, you know, there's certainly like a handful that kind of stand out. And so like, I just used a spreadsheet to manage the communications with them and make sure that I was moving the processes along. But uh, I didn't have a formal rubric. But in, in terms of what I was act- what I was doing informally was really like it, it's, it was like a lot like a job interview. Honestly, like I would like ask I would try to learn more about them as a person. Um, I would try to learn about how they think about our uh, our product, our market. Um, I would see what questions they ask, and a really important thing is uh, is talking to their portfolio companies. So you need to do reference checks on them. So, you know, you you talk to portfolio companies who they funded and you ask how their experience has been like with them, just like you would do reference calls for an employee before giving an offer. And in particular, you want to try to talk to portfolio companies where it didn't go as well. Because like if, if you're talking to like, like, Hey, like Stripe, how was your experience with Y Combinator? They're gonna be like, I'm sure it was great, right? Like everything's gone well for that company. So you oh, want to talk right. to portfolio companies where it didn't go as well. And sometimes, and the way to get those intros, because you're not gonna get them from the the venture capitalist is not gonna give you the portfolio company that has a poor experience with them. So you have to talk to their portfolio company. You have to reach out directly to their portfolio companies. And ask to talk with them, or, and specifically also ask, like, hey, do you know somebody who, is, who um, worked with this same investor where it didn't go as well? I'd love to talk with them. And you learn a lot through there. And you see how like, how the interactions were in times when the company wasn't going, going as well. Because those are the crucial times. When everything is going well, nobody's complaining.
0: Of course. Yeah. So, what um, I, I mean, you touched on a, an interesting point there about this um community amongst portfolio companies was that did that go into your decision at all like uh the the mix of companies in the portfolio and yeah I mean did that a little bit evolve? but not not
1: too much a, a little bit um you know if you're looking for introductions um to their portfolio companies they're gonna give you it if they like you and they, they're like, they're interested in your company, they're gonna give you introductions anyways, um, because they, like an investor is incentivized, like they, they wanna invest in the best companies and they know that they have to do work um, for the best companies to like wanna work with them. So, you know, like um, several of our, you know, and in, in, like investor, like even I would say most of them and like before, before actually like investing in us had, had already helped us out in some way but i think picking a vc just because they're portfolio companies I, I, that's not what i that's certainly not what i did but i think that can give you a sense of what market what markets they play in and like what kind of familiarity they have so you know like if if you're if this vc that you're talking to only works with companies of other industries that means that they're just not focused on your industry, and they're probably not going to be a good fit for you. But if they have, if they're working with companies that are related to you, that's a good sign that they'll know what they're talking about. You don't want to work with a VC that doesn't know what they're talking about,
0: for sure. And and I would imagine being in the tech space, it's it's kind of its you know own beast. Uh, there's a lot of regulatory frameworks around it. You had kind of touched on you know, asking like, well, how do I get in front of my potential customers? Like this is not a, a normal like B2B, B2C play. How did you find that process in in evaluating potential VC partners that that could help you along that that journey in this industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, well certainly, certainly you, you, uh, you know, one of the things you do when you're talking to uh, VCs, you ask them for introductions to um, either portfolio companies or um, or just, you know, if you see that they're connected with a potential customer of yours on, on LinkedIn and they're not in your portfolio, they're not in the portfolio company, you know, list, then you might still reach out to them. And so, you, you know, you definitely always want to want to ask for those kinds of things, regardless of whether or not, you know, like you're going to work with that investor. But uh, that that certainly does give you some signal because when, when you ask for, you know, like like the good ones will actually offer these things up front. You won't even have to ask. Um, they'll already be... Th- Proactively thinking of how they can help you because they want to show you that they're going to help you in order for you to work with them, right? So um, they'll a lot of the times they'll pro- proactively ask that, um, but uh, but yeah, I would definitely ask for for intros, and I have, and they're they're particularly incentivized to make those connections uh, if they want to invest in you. So it's a good time to ask for those, and then you also see like how fast do they work? You know, if somebody says they're going to make an intro, to, if they send the email right away. You know, you see people that, that like sh- fire off emails. You're just like, how are you emailing so fast? You know, <laughs> like that that's the kind of thing you want to see ideally. Um, you know, you want to see that they're like really putting in work for you. Because if they're not doing anything now, like um, when they're trying to impress you and convince you to take their money, like, you know, they are that's the best signal that I've been able to get around. Like what they're going to do for you when you take their money is like what they'll, what they do before that you work with yeah. them.
0: Yeah. What are what are some of those? I, I imagine there were some some obstacles, some red flags. You had mentioned that uh, you know you you had interviewed upwards of hundred VCs. Um, I looking at your funding round, you didn't have hundred VCs in there. So what were some yeah. of those things that that you tend to avoid? You you talked about like being very responsive and helpful. Um, I would imagine the opposite of that were some red flags. But what are some other ones that you know founders going through this process should should also look look out for?
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's a great question. Um, certainly, like, uh, and this is all—this is all my personal opinion, obviously. Um, I would say, like, investors that make you do a bunch of homework that doesn't feel relevant to you, like, I like to me, that's a red flag. Like, if, if you know, I, I remember, like, in the in the very very early days, um, I was talking to one investor that wanted a very detailed financial model. Um, at a stage where the com- like it just didn't make sense for the company, um, you know you want to You probably want to watch out for stuff like that. I think, um, but what's appropriate is going to depend on your company. So like if you're a later stage company and they're asking for a financial model, that's very reasonable. But if you haven't even got a product in the market, um, you know it might be a little bit early. <laughs> um, yeah. So I would say like if you're doing a lot of if they're asking you to do a lot of homework that doesn't feel useful to you, that's a red flag because they're, they might do that after they're, they're more likely to make you do those kinds of things after you take their money. Right. Because now they have like, they've they've given you their money and they want to get a return and and they think that these things are going to be helpful to you. So if you're, they're making you do a bunch of exercises and you think it's a waste of time, that's a red flag. Another would be, um, the main thing would be like, are are you spending like your time in a way where it feels good to you? Where, you know, the time that you're spending with this VC it should feel good to you. If it doesn't feel good now, it's like probably going to get worse when when uh when you uh, formally work with them and you're and you're you know you're you're marrying a VC when you when you take somebody's money um to to build your business you're essentially it's kind of like a marriage um so you want to make sure that like you like them and uh, and you have a good relationship it's only going to get harder when there's more strain yeah uh, and then um and then I mean one thing that I did was just make sure that like uh every investor that participated in our round actually had some specific value add you know it's not it's not just where where can i get money um it's like who who is the right person like who's the next right person for our business so in the at the very the very first investor decision i decided to go with elefund the partner that i met first there was nate rodland who was the founding coo of uh, Robinhood, and he like you know, I come from an engineering background. He has a very, very strong operating background, mm-hmm. and so very quickly he was give, like very quickly just firing off tactical advice that was helping me um, make the re- like make the right decisions and 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 move forward. He also connected me with our first employee and Mark, who, who who joined us, and I could and from the questions that he was asking and the things that he was saying, I could tell that he that he not only got the vision but like what what he saw as the as the like where this company was going aligned with what I saw too. So I guess another red flag would be if the the venture capitalist that you're talking to is like pushing you to do all these things that are completely out of scope of your vision and even after you've explained to them like what your vision is and those things don't make sense, like that, you know, those kinds of things are probably going to happen afterwards <laughs> when you have- After you take their money too. So you want to make sure that there's an alignment in values and, and what they think of how they, you know, what they think about your business, your, your vision. Um, So I think, I think those are, those are two solid red flags to watch out for. But um, generally, you know, I I think of it like a hiring decision and and we're going to be raising our, our series A next and, and, and I'm going to approach it the same way. Like who are the right partners for our business? And in terms of choosing the venture capitalist, too, like my hierarchy is the person, the specific person at the firm matters more, a lot more than the firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so you want to like specifically make sure that the person that you're working with is the best person. That might yeah. not be from the firm that has the biggest brand name, right? For
0: sure. Um,
1: but that that that's the person you're gonna be working with. So um, just because they're coming from a, a big brand name VC, you know if, if if that's who you got, that's who you yeah. got. So, so make sure, sure that you actually like the person.
0: So, two years after raising that initial seed round, are you satisfied with the process? Has it turned out the way that, that you had hoped for?
1: Certainly, yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm really thrilled with our investors, and uh, you know I, I have a, a great relationship with them, and and, and they're very helpful. Uh, and I like I really like talking with them. It's been a great experience with with our investors. Um, I, I would say, like, checked all the boxes. I'm 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 very happy with uh, you know, the folks that we've gotten to work with, and and it's great because you continue to build those relationships over time. Um, so yeah, de- definitely very happy. They help a lot in various situations, whether it's connecting me with potential candidates who we might hire, or um, you know, ideas for for the for customers that we should talk to, or or just direct you know intros. You know, one of our investors made a ton of intros for us last quarter that helped us, uh, you know, sign a few deals and move a few deals along. And uh, and and that's that's certainly accelerated things. So, like, I mean, that's just one example, Uh, you know, like having our first investor, you know, connect me with our first engineering hire was huge, absolutely massive, you know, and uh, uh, Mark's working with us today and he's absolutely incredible. So, um, you know, you can definitely get a lot of great value from from your investors.
0: That's awesome. And yeah, so you had, you had mentioned just a little while ago that that you're gearing up for the eventual Series A raise. What are some some new learnings that you've taken over the last couple of years, going through the seed process, being very diligent with the, the partners that you've chosen? what will inform your your process for for Series A, what's kind of changed, and you know how, how might that be different than raising your first round?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, like I, I think of it like uh, almost exactly the same way. I think, I think there's a difference in terms of, uh, you know, the the work involved. Like you have, like when you're doing your Series A, there's more materials to prepare. Um, you have, uh, you know, you've you've taken on seed money at that point, and you've done stuff with it. So what have you done, and where are you going next? What do you have? What have you achieved? Um, you know there's a there's a lot more materials that go into a series a than a seed round typically it's not always the case but um you know i i i didn't actually make a deck for our our seed round i just uh, had a one it was like a one page pdf uh that i was circulating around and uh but in the series a there will be a deck and um and, and there will be other you know financial models and those kinds of things right so those, so there's some differences in terms of like the overhead of the the work that you have, you know, you have to put together your data room ahead of time. But in terms of picking the actual investors, um, it's the same kind of process for me, you know, who are the who are the right partners um, for the business, because the people at the firm are gonna are gonna be fantastic to work with. Um, There, you know, there's there's a lot of VCs out there. And so, you know, you're just kind of going and, and picking, like, who, who do I want to work with? Who's going to do the most for my company? And you're going and interviewing them. And that's, that's essentially what, what, what we're doing as well. So um, uh, not, too much, not, not too much has changed there in terms of how I think about it. It's just, it's just a different, you know, you could raise a seed round with a one page PDF, <laughs> but, but for the Series A, um, I'll, I'll, the, there, there's more material there now. Um, Definitely. And I think well, honestly, awesome. that's probably the, the major the major difference.
0: Oh that's man, that's a, that's really good good insight to know. Um I guess like b- before I let you go, I want to ask one last question. Um, you know, you made the dec- you, you made the decision to move from being a bootstrap company to, to raising your first round. You had a a roadmap for what you wanted to to do with the the money that you raised. Do you feel like you've uh you you've hit all those milestones? Uh, with that that raise uh, you know and and was it a smooth ride what type of lessons did you take away from that that first raise as far as kind of like deploying that capital into the business
1: yeah that's that's a good question i mean i think i think one thing that's that's been um surprising for me but it probably won't be surprising like in 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 hindsight i guess is like um you know the the amount of time it takes to to hire amazing people Um, that's something that I underestimated, uh, going into it. And, uh, uh, it's, especially on the engineering side, um, we find that it takes a lot of time to find, uh, amazing candidates, um, who, uh, who are, you know, like able to perform at our bar, um, and, uh, and, and, and who, who, you know, that, I mean, that's mainly it, like is, is that who, who hit our bar, um, in terms of like, you know, have we done what we set out to do with this seed capital? Yeah, definitely. I think like we're, and and that's why that's why we're we're uh, you know the only like the actually the reason why I'm not doing this Series A raise at this moment is just because we're trying to hire and I, I I'm trying to hire as quickly as possible right now, and so that that's actually the the main reason. Um, so uh, you know once we get some hiring done, uh, this the Series A will be next. But yeah, I mean like what we've pulled off with this the seed I think is phenomenal. We have you know we we have the leading product in the market for what we do you know we're we've built this um this platform where you're able to you know, select your insurance carrier and and provide your login. And we're able to connect and, uh, to that information and, and instantly get that over to the business that you wanted to share that with within just a few seconds. It's like magic, you know. And in the early days, it used to take, you know, many minutes to get the information even automatically, right? And so, like, the the, the amount of progress that we've made since then has been phenomenal. You know, we cover, the, like, the vast majority of the United States insurance market already on the personal line side. Uh, you know we we cover all personal lines auto home umbrella, <laughs> condo renters, motorcycle boat, you name it, and we have a a fully built out api that 's being used by like over a thousand companies and thousands of users every day so you know i think I think that's been that 's been amazing to see, especially in a in a like a market that 's generally thought of as old school and slow moving you know to see that we were able to you know come in with this completely new way of sharing your insurance information. Um, and we were able to get that many businesses to start using it in that amount of time, I think is, is, is pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, and I'm so proud of the team like our, our team is super, uh, kick, uh I don't know if I won't say kick ass. Kick ass is that okay to yeah. say?
0: <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. We're all friends here.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I absolutely love our team and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, like uh, I, I just sometimes I even get emotional thinking about it. Um, you know, sometimes I like tear up just thinking about how amazing the team is. You know, it's so rewarding to get to work with amazing people. Um, and, uh, you know, just excited to continue, continue to grow that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. man. this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. Tolga, thanks for for joining us. Where can people go to find out more about you? Maybe connect with you and uh, continue this conversation?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, if you search Tolga Tezel on LinkedIn, uh, there's probably like, I I probably would be the first result, I imagine. I don't think my name's that common. So, you know, search me up on LinkedIn if you want to connect with me directly. Uh, But to learn about more about what we're building at Canopy Connect, the best way uh, is to check up either search Canopy Connect in Google, it'll come up or just uh, go to our website, usecanopy.com. That's U-S-E canopy dot usecanopy.com. That's, uh, that you know, you, you can connect uh, directly with us there as well to, to learn more about what we're building.
0: Awesome, all right, Tolga, thank you
1: so much for joining us. Thank you, Andrew, thanks for having me.
0: That does it for this episode of Beyond the Policy. If you've missed prior episodes and want to catch up, please visit us at howyouinsurethat.com. Again, that's howyouinsurethat.com. And to never miss an episode in the future, please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you download and listen to shows. Until next time, thanks for joining us and stay risky.